This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, LS Pod fans, it's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off can be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hello and welcome to the Lobe strangers a swindon town fan podcast with me rich pullen rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside beautiful play that is that what a good shot I will win this league anyway. Richard, he's hit it. It's Cradwell! Bowden, welcome. Good evening. We're just going to go all the way through your career, essentially, and you're a proud Cardiffian. Um, did you support Cardiff City when you were young, and who were your heroes growing up? Yeah, I did. Um, obviously, as you say, coming from Cardiff, you generally support your local team, um, although I also had a soft spot for Tottenham for some particular reason. I don't really know why, but Cardiff was my hometown club. Um, I think I first went to see it, our, our headmaster. Uh, who also took us for, for football um, in my junior school, Mr. Paul Kite. He took us to a Cardiff City game, and from that moment I was sort of a, a big Cardiff City fan. But, but as you say, I also supported uh, Spurs from a distance, you know, match of the day, sports night with Coleman on a Wednesday night. So you were a schoolboy with Chelsea. How did that come about? Yes, I was playing for um, a local football team, uh, San Romney Youth Club, um, which I played from sort of under-12s right through to under-16s. Um, and we were playing in a tournament in Cardiff, actually, uh, up in Lisbane. And there were some Chelsea scouts there. So, uh, unbeknown to, to me at the start, or any of the boys, um, at the end of uh, one of the games, they came up and they approached our, our manager and said, could Paul come for a trial at Chelsea. Uh, and there was also another lad, Chris Riley, in the same team, both left-footers. 
Um, and we had a very quite a successful uh, youth club team. To be fair, we didn't do a lot in school because predominantly it was rugby back in the uh, in the seventies. But uh, yeah, so Chris Chris Riley and myself went for a trial up to Chelsea when we were about thirteen, fourteen, um, and we both signed schoolboy forms. They came to the school, came met my my mum in Cardiff, and uh, ultimately signed schoolboy forms. And for the next two years, uh, we travelled up most weekends and half terms to, to play in games and, and training sessions. Now you've worked extensively within youth team football post your playing career. What was the YTS experience like in the 80s? Well, yeah, it, um, oh, a lot different to what it was now, um, for sure. My, my first apprenticeship with Newport was, it was only like a one-year uh, scholarship, apprenticeship, YT, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it entailed sweeping the stands on Monday mornings, we had to get in early. There was only three of us, you know, where now most clubs sort of take nine or ten each year. So you have first year, second years, and probably 18, 20. There was three of us, um, two boys from the Valleys. And uh, as I said, every Monday morning, we would be in early, sweeping the stands if the team were home on the Saturday. Uh, throughout the summer, it was painting the terracing and all the metal bars for, for the terracing to lean against. So I was covered in black and amber by the time I got home. Um but they were, they, were, they were good times. You know, we cleaned all the players' boots, so there was only three of us between probably 25 pros. So we had a lot of work to be done, but it was a, a real good grounding. Um, and after one year, Lenarchus left and went to Cardiff, and thankfully, he took me with him. So uh, that was my next step. So, yeah, we used to, we used to play on a Saturday morning and then watch uh, the first team play in the afternoon uh, when they were home, So and then come back to Cardiff. So, yeah, they were, although... We were quite young, you know, 14, 15, just get a train up to London, a taxi to the hotel where we were staying on a Friday night. Um, I don't think that would ever happen nowadays, you know. Uh, we were going into the unknown, especially the first time we did it, Chris and myself. It was it was quite a frightening experience, but you learn to become responsible and independent, and I think that held me in good stead uh, throughout my career. But you do re- return, as you say, you do return to Wales after your apprenticeship and you join Cardiff City, your hometown team. You enjoy two and a bit of seasons, I think, at Cardiff, which includes a promotion. Um, is it difficult playing for your hometown club and the t- club that you support? Are there added pressures? Um, I suppose so, um, although you don't realise it at the time. I mean, you just want to be a football player, train every day and try and play in the first team. And, and I got in the first team just before my 18th birthday. So I was set, I think I was 17. My debut was against Wrexham and we got beat on the opening day of the season. So it was a little bit of a disappointment. But I always remember the manager going to press and saying I was probably exonerated. And that was the exact word he used from the disappointing performance, being such a young player uh, and a local player. And generally, I think supporters give you a little bit more grace don't they you know as a young player coming through obviously a lot of family all my family were from Cardiff back then so I suppose a little bit of added pressure but I was just proud to play for my my hometown club and and that's all that mattered to me and was your release as a result of new manager or is it just not a good fit Len Ashurst had left uh, we like you mentioned earlier we, we did have a promotion in my first year I think I played 35 games in my first year so that was a real successful opening season at Cardiff um, but Len did really well uh, with the promotion and obviously previous to that he did really well at Newport um, he got him to the quarterfinals of the Cup Winners Cup I think he was just before I joined them so Len had a good record he was a, a hard working manager got the players you know fit and organised and he went to Sunderland 
So we were disappointed to lose Len going up there. But um, Alan Durbin was the new manager. And unfortunately, you know, as, as a lot of managers do when they come in, they want to bring their own type of player in. And uh, it didn't uh, encompass me. So really disappointed to be leaving my hometown club. What is that phase between released and trying to find a new club like back in the 80s? Nowadays, you have lots of uh, trials at football clubs where a bunch of trialists come in and um, people watch and decide. Um, was that similar back then or was it just hope to get a trial somewhere and see what happens? I mean, it was similar in that you could write to clubs. Um, it wasn't uh, emails around at that <laughs> time. It was fa- faxes and um, but no, very few agents um, at that time, you know, no social media. So in terms of trying to get into clubs, it was quite difficult. Um, it was a phone call or, you know, word of mouth if, if you told someone. And that was, you know, another possibility of, of getting into a club. But it was quite difficult. You know, I was, I was although I played, I think, 70 games for Cardiff, um, trying to find another club. And I was a real, perhaps a bit of a hometown player, a homer, although I'd been to Chelsea for two years. It was a, it was a tough experience. Um, but living away from home would have been another new experience that perhaps I wasn't quite ready for at 19. I did have an opportunity to go to Torquay and I thought they, they were quite low level. And I just thought, you know, to go and live away from home at that stage wasn't, wasn't a good move for me. So um, I went to, I think, Merthyr, um, for, for a game they were playing Cardiff City actually and it was a, a game to try and get myself fit and try and get myself noticed and in the meantime I had a call from Bobby Jones the Bath City manager who were playing at a, a higher level and I just felt that might be a, the, the better move for me at that particular time And was there much difference with the standard of football in the Alliance League or the Vauxhall Conference as it was or um, in comparison to Division 3, Division 4? Well First of all, you're part-time, so you train two nights a week. So in terms of the fitness levels, um, you're not quite um, as fit as you, you could be. So uh, Tuesday nights, Thursday nights, going over to Bath or Bristol is where we trained predominantly. Um, it was it was a new experience, um, but certainly when you're you know, getting over the disappointment of being released by your hometown club, you're looking for the next best option. You keep believing in your own ability. And, and thankfully at Bath, uh, having had a couple of years there, I was lucky enough to get an opportunity to bounce back. Yeah, I don't think um, many Swindon fans realise that you are something of a Bath City hero. Um, I think 30 goals from over 100 uh, league appearances. I think you were top scorer, may even be twice. So must be loads of fond memories from that National League level. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, as I said, Bobby Jones, he was an old-fashioned winger himself, played for Bristol Rovers, um, and he sort of invigorated me, really. Uh, I went, when I was a young player, up until I was about 16, I was always a left winger, never played full-back. And it was just coincidence, one game our left-back didn't turn up, and I slotted in. And from that moment on, I, I played number of games for Cardiff as a left back but actually I was a, I was always an attacking left back um, I remember scoring two goals for for Cardiff on a bank holiday Monday uh, against Man City and we won 2-1 so I, I was very much more defense uh, more attack minded than de- defensive minded and when I went to Bath I actually asked could I play up front or play as a winger like I used to when I was a younger player so Bath gave me that opportunity and, and my record was was quite impressive but um when I got back into the league and he was back into a left-back um, role and uh, something that I, I 
pretty much stay through without my career. So your career before Swindon is Chelsea, Newport. Were you at Newport for a little while after Chelsea? Is that right? Yeah, I was. Well, I was, when I left Chelsea, I went to Newport for a, a whole season. Yeah, uh, didn't didn't break into the first team. As I said, we were we were. I was one of three apprentices. Yeah. Um, got close, but didn't quite make the first team. They were a very strong outfit in them days. Um, Cardiff, my first uh, real club where I made an impression, seventy odd first team games. Got released from there. Went to Bath City for about two and a half years, and then Brian Eastick, who actually worked for Chelsea when I was a schoolboy, he signed me at Newport County. So that was a good move. He was a good coach um, who's gone on and worked with the English FA for many, many years as an intermediate mm-hmm. coach in the various 17s, 19s, and 21 age groups. So he was someone I've sort of followed and, and stayed friendly with over the many, many years of my career and now coaching. Um, so yeah, I was literally there only. There was quite a few clubs actually watching me at Bath. So Newport, again, back on my doorstep, seemed the right option. Sheffield United showed an interest, but it was back to Newport. And literally, I played six games. And Lou Macari phoned me up one afternoon. The manager tipped me off. He said, look, you could be getting a phone call this afternoon. We're in a bit of financial trouble. Although we paid money for you, we might have to get the money back and sell you. I said, OK. He said, so Lou Macari will probably ring you this afternoon. And that was March 88. And literally, Lou Macari phoned me up and said, look, we've agreed a fee. Would you like to come up and, and talk to us? And of course, you know, jumped in the car pretty much immediately and, and drove up to Swindon. It was a Thursday and I remember signing pretty much there and then. It, it was a, an offer on the table. There wasn't much negotiation, no agents involved, just Lou and myself. He sort of said, you know, this is what we're offering you. And... Um, that was it. I signed, I think, two years, two year or three year deal, um, and then played. Sorry, my first thing to do then was to run down Queens Drive, meet the rest of the boys. They were they were sort of basking in the in the glory um, in the hotel, the post house. So they were having a nice uh, swim, jacuzzi. They must, they must have had a, a tough day the day before because it certainly got a lot worse. Um, the training uh, methods were very difficult to get used to. But that was my first introduction to the players. Played in the reserves on the Saturday, the combination against Arsenal. And then we joined up on the Sunday and went to um, Bisham Abbey for a training camp because we, we were due to play um, Luton Town in the semi-final of the Simod Cup on the Tuesday. So we went and got some practice training on AstroTurf um, in preparation for the, for the big semi-final. Kelly is only a couple of yards away, but Digby manages to push it one-handed onto the bar. And 1988 was a busy year for you, as you say, there were two transfers. Before that, though, what was your what was your job when you were semi-pro? Um, well, funny enough, I mean, when I was at Cardiff City, I was on, I think, probably £100 a week. Mm. Um, and when I went to Bath... I was on pretty much similar money. So I wasn't really losing a lot financially. Back then, obviously, £100 was a reasonable amount. But um, So I did a little bit of part-time work. A friend of mine was a roofer. Um, so I was up on the roofs helping him move these big sheet metal roof, sheet metal tiles. I mean, I'm not the best at heights, so it wasn't the best job for me. But it's kind of filled in the time. Um, and I also did a bit of insurance work, knocking people's doors and, and selling some insurance, which was... Football related, it was called CICA, and, and a lot of footballers actually took that insurance out back in them days. Okay, so you joined Swindon um, during their first season 
in the second tier since the mid 70s. Lou Macari, as you've mentioned, is the manager. And we have a town, a squad, sorry, full of town favourites Colin Calderwood, Fraser Digby, Jimmy Quinn, Chris Kamara, Charlie Henry. The list goes on. Steve White, Alan McLaughlin is young, but he's coming through. Was it easy to integrate into that Swindon Town squad? What was the dressing room like? Well, like I said, my, my first introduction was at uh, the Post House Hotel. Um, you know, coming up from Wales, obviously, uh, it's a big move for me. You know, it was a, it was a good club, Swindon. They they'd won promotion, I think, um, the year before that with the record points and record goals. So I knew, did a little bit of homework in a short space I could. Um, and there were some really good players at Swindon Town. I'm in a very progressive club. Lou, obviously, you know, legend of Man United. So um, it was an exciting time for me. And, and to join the group of players that we had um, was a real progression in terms of a, a career move for myself. Um, they were all good lads, to be fair. Real down to earth. You had people like Steve Foley, the, the mad scouser. You know, he certainly made everybody feel welcome. And to be fair, all the rest of the lads. Um, a great bunch in them days. Steve Foley's one of those forgotten... I mean, he won Player of the Year with Swindon. He's one of those forgotten players. And everyone that says he was mad, why was he mad? Well, he, you know, just a typical scouser. You know, he was always at Atlantics in the dressing room. But he was a fantastic player. Mm. I mean, Steve Foley was one of the one of the great midfielders that I ever remember playing with. I mean, he was tenacious. He could pass it. His, uh, his schooling, I think he was from Liverpool, wasn't he? Yeah. I think he actually came, played for Liverpool, yeah. uh, maybe in the junior level. But he was a very, very good technical player. Um, and without the perhaps injuries which, which held him back a little bit, he should have gone on and, and had a, a much better career than perhaps he did. Now, when you join, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're considered cover for Phil King. Were you happy with that to start with? Or were the club saying to you that they were expecting King to leave at some point? No, no, not at all. That was never mentioned. Um, Phil was a young player um, himself, a bit, possibly a little bit younger than me. So I just came in. I think I'd been playing left midfield for Newport. So, And I th- I'm sure, although it is a long way back, I definitely played left midfield in, in the opening game against uh, Arsenal in, in the Cup. Uh, sorry, in the combination on the Saturday. And I'm sure I played left midfield against uh, Luton Town. If my memory serves me right, I could be wrong. So I was playing in front of Phil King, um, and, and that combination down the down the left side, you know, could have been fruitful. But I think the manager in the end, Lou, um, didn't select me in that position in the future. And obviously, you know, left back predominantly being my my best position, I I had to just bide my time. You know, like I said, it was a progressive move for me, um, and I just had to be patient. I'm pretty sure you wore the number 11 shirt against um, Luton, which is, as you've mentioned already, your debut. It's the semi-final of the Simard Cup. Um, it would have been a trip to Wembley for Swindon and a game against Reading, um, our old foes. Uh, we hadn't played since 1969 at Wembley, so it was a big one for us. Town lose on that plastic pitch in extra time, um, but there was a controversial moment in the game or a heartbreaking moment in the game. Do you remember it? I do, yes. Um yeah, unfortunately, it was. Um, I think Jimmy Quinn was through on goal, wasn't he? One on one with the keeper, and someone blew a whistle in the crowd. Is that what you're referring to? It is the moment. It's Dave Bamber, though. Oh, it's Dave Bamber, yeah. was it? Oh, so I, I've been giving Jimmy Quinn the criticism for all these years. <laughs> uh, but no, no, yeah. Well, I remember it was somebody went through one v one, and someone in the crowd blew the whistle, and he literally passed it back to the keeper. I'm sure, um, which could have, you know, won us the game. But, uh, I mean, Luton were a very, very strong team in them days. The Steen brothers and Big Mick, Mick Harford at, uh, at centre-forward. So they were a real powerful force. And um, 
I think, you know, getting to the semi, you, you tend to forget about it, but that was one, obviously my opening game, my debut. So it was one that remains firmly uh, embedded in, in my memories. Now, you struggled to win the town fans over in those first few months. As a professional footballer, how difficult is it to overcome this sort of tension or this sort of problem that you have? Because sometimes trying too hard can act as a hindrance, I would have thought. Well, possibly, but I mean, in all honesty, back then I didn't realise that uh, they hadn't taken me. I hadn't played an awful lot. I played in the semi-final and played a couple of other games after that. But I wasn't a, a prominent regular player, whether there was or not. I mean, if you're suggesting it, maybe. But it wasn't something that I actually felt. Um, at that time, I was travelling as well with Chalky and, and Tim Parkin from Cardiff. So perhaps living away at that stage... You know, you don't get uh, your ears not to the ground and you don't listen to too much what's going on. But um, like I said, I was still a youngish player. I was just pleased to be at the club and trying to fight for a, a regular place in the team, which is what all young aspiring players, uh, you know, try to do at their clubs. Absolutely. Now, what were your experiences of Lou Macari? Lou was a taskmaster, for sure. Um, he was a different type of manager than I'd ever experienced. Um his recruitment, as we touched on earlier, about the, the, the players in that group uh, when I joined was exceptional for the level of football. So in terms of recruitment, Lou brought great, great players to, to Swindon Town in them days. I, I would imagine it was a lot easier to bring him in then than it is nowadays with agents involved and you know wages and transfer fees. But um, Lou was very, very good. We didn't do a lot of tactical work. I mean, most of the stuff with Lou was about fitness and uh, every player you know I don't think he trusted players which I find difficult certainly nowadays as well you've got to trust your players to get the best out of them and uh, Lou you know we would run through walls for Lou but we would also run through walls in terms of training it was it was really tough I mentioned that run up to uh, the post house on my first day and one of you know most of the lads said to me we hope you can run because signing for Swindon you're gonna have to be a very good athlete and um, that was the case. You know, most Thursdays uh, throughout the season, we would do a real heavy load of running, and, and a lot of it entailed a, a 5.7 mile road run, which players nowadays just simply don't do. You know, you've got your sports science and, and your strength and conditioning guys, your GPS, you know, on the backs of the lads. So the training is tapered a lot differently to what it was back then, but um, it was tough. You know, uh, rarely did you get a day off with Lou. But, you know, he's, he's a character builder, that's for sure. And, um, you know, I've got a lot to thank him for. You know, A, bringing me to the club and testing me to the hilt, to be honest. It was very, very difficult at times, uh, especially, especially when you're not playing and you're having to run really tough, tough weeks without, without you know, kicking a ball at times. So, um, but no. Uh, the opportunity arose at, at certain times to play, and, and one thing you were—you were—you were fit, and mentally you were a bit stronger for that. Tom Jones, four nil. That's Steve White. They're tearing into pieces now. Town lose Jimmy Quinn that first summer that you're there, but. Town replaced them with Duncan Shearer, so not too bad at all. There's a marked improvement after Swindon's consolidation-based first season in the second tier, and it's a hell of a strong division. Chelsea, Manchester City, Crystal Palace, Watford, Blackburn, Leeds, Sunderland. That must have been a great experience for what you were going through in the years and seasons before. 
Well, absolutely, absolutely. Every every step up. I mean, you look at the the leagues now, and like the championship is like a prem too, isn't it? Mm. You know, um, and back then it was similar, as you say. There were top top teams who had dropped down, but um, you know, the main thing is is to to try and get in the team, and then start looking who you, who you're playing against. You know, the most important thing is how you play, how the team plays. Is it a winning team? Is it a successful team? And thankfully, you know, after perhaps an, an early sticky start at Swindon. Um, we had some wonderful years. Uh, there were one or two negative years where we got demoted, but there was always something exciting going on at Swindon Town, for sure. <laughs> uh, you get your first experience of the Swindon-Oxford derby in that first full season of yours. Um, it's a good one, because Town win 3-0. What were your general experiences of that derby? Well, having sort of experienced derbies, I mean, Cardiff-Swansea is uh, is pretty stressful it's pretty tough um there's a lot of build-up to the games and exactly the same with Swindon Oxford so uh whenever you can beat your local rivals it's bragging rights for the supporters and obviously as professional players you know you certainly want to want to beat them particular opponents um I think the game you mentioned as well would it have been Oggy Paul Hunt's debut when he had an outstanding debut, or was that the year before? I think because I remember Oggy when Oggy played, we won three 0 and he was outstanding on his debut. So I don't know if he was that one or, or maybe a bit later. Let's have a look. Can't quite... No, it's the year before. Right. So yeah, so we did. We actually had a. It's funny enough. Of late, it's not been great. But when <laughs> when back in the nineties and late eighties, we we had. Uh, I think we certainly had it over the Oxford boys because we we predominantly. We beat them, and, and even on their own patch, the old manor ground. I mean, I remember going there and having some some good uh, results. So, but I remember the Augie one because Augie was a great character for for Swindon, and um, still a good friend. Still see him about the town, and um, he didn't quite perhaps the reach uh, reach the heights that perhaps he should have. Uh, he did have trouble with his knees, and and he still do. But he's a he's a smashing character, and. Uh, it's always good to bump into Augie around the town. Certainly hope to get him on at some point. Now, town miss out on promotion via the playoffs. And this is where the, the running gets frustrating. So you spend the whole season running, keeping fit, grinding out a playoff campaign. And then you go up against Ian Wright and Mark Bright. What can you do? Well, and well, ironically, I ended up sort of playing with. Mm. So I didn't play in the playoff games, no. unfortunately. Um, I watched from the stands and... Um, uh, a good friend of mine, actually, who was a, a Chelsea schoolboy with me. There was two lads who, who sort of went on and done quite well for themselves. Tom was one of them. So I spent uh, two years before our Swindon days actually training and playing with Tom Jones at Chelsea. Um, and the other one was Keith Downing, who went on to have a, a pretty good career at um, Wolves, went into management, and I think he takes the England under-19s at the moment. So they're two lads who came out of that Chelsea um, sort of factory at that particular time. Um, but yeah, it was a uh, going back to the Crystal Palace and the, and, the, and the playoff games. Tough, tough opposition, and uh, although they were very, t- pretty close games, I remember you know watching from the s- sidelines and being a bit disappointed I wasn't out there. But um, tough games. I mean, the Palace went on obviously to to be very successful of, in, in that sort of generation. Lou Macari leaves for West Ham, and his replacement, in modern terms, is remarkable because it's World Cup winner Ozzy Ardiles. Can you remember? When you heard that Town, your new manager, was going to be an Argentina World Cup winner? Yeah, I mean, it, it happened quite suddenly. And as I say again, you know, social media and TV and Sky News and all the rest of it, you know, you tend to hear things before they happen. But back then it was very much, you know, 
bang, there it is. He's, he's our new manager. Um, obviously, disappointed in some respects to lose Lou, um, who'd been arguably Swindon's most successful manager in their history, um, and on to a World Cup winner. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, I was a Tottenham fan, so I, and, and even to this day, still enjoy Tottenham. Don't know what it is, don't know why. It's not as if family members were Tottenham fans back back in the seventies, but just something about Tottenham. They always played pretty good football, which I which I obviously enjoyed playing myself. Um, so was the idealist, unbelievable, and the training methods changed dramatically. You know, from long runs where we did very little running in terms of certainly road runs, never did a road run uh, again, and just gave us the belief. Total change in tactics where we were a little bit direct with Lou, get the ball forward quick. You know, Fraser had to catch it and kick it as quick as he could. We'd sprint up to the halfway line. Well, now it was about staying around the edge of your box, trying to play out through the through the thirds from back to front um, with, you know, ball possession, probably going ahead of, uh, of the fitness side. So ball retention, trying to play forward, encouraging the midfielders to, to get on the ball and ultimately creating you know opportunities for your strikers. And what's great about that, though, is he keeps pretty much, bar one or two players, it's pretty much the same squad as the Makari era. So Adidas was able to mould those players into a more passing team. Well, absolutely. I think Dave Kerslake really was, was probably one of the few players who actually came in and, and, and imposed himself in, in the team. Um, and, and Mickey came a bit later, obviously. But no, it was it was a total transformation. And people like Colin and and Fraser and uh, John Gittins, you know, players who, who weren't asked to play out from the back. You know, Tim Parkin to some level, although Tim moved on shortly after uh, Aussie's arrival, as did Dave Hockaday. But certainly players like myself who, who wanted to get on the ball and express themselves from fullback position, um, we were encouraged to do it. And Aussie gave us that foundation and that belief. And of course, you know, it ties in with results as well. I think the supporters found it a little bit frustrating in the early days that we weren't getting the ball forward quick enough. Um, and you could sense it in some games when there was perhaps no goals, we weren't winning at home. Um, but it was a bit more of a patient approach. Um, and it bared fruit, you know, um, come the end of the season. Something's never changed. Get it forward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, listen, there's a time and a place for it, isn't it? Mm. You know, um, but if you, can got, if you can get the mixture and, and you can play a good brand of football, that it's exciting because it is, an, you know, it's an entertainment business football and, um, you know, you've got to entertain the crowds. How do, you, how do you get supporters back? How do you get them up off their seats? You know, what brings them back every week? What, you know, what makes them bring their family and friends and their children and, and generations, you know, for the future? You've got to give them a product that's exciting to watch and, and to talk about. Get them talking about Swindon Town in a positive vein. And that's what, that's what happened in the 90s and late 80s, for sure. Absolutely, it did. did was there any bite to Aussie? Um, he always seems quite mild-mannered and very polite, but could he get riled? Yeah, he, he, would, he would show his disappointment. And you knew when he was disappointed. Um, but he wasn't a shouter and a baller. Very nice, kind man, you know. The fact of what he's done in the game was unbelievable. But when he said things, you respected him. You know, you respect him as, as a football man because of what he'd done, but also as just being a gentleman. He was he was an honest, down-to-earth gentleman who had no airs or graces. Um, if you wanted to see him about anything, his door was always open. He would talk to you in training, you know, and he would build you up. He often called me in and said, oh, you know, I'm the best left-back in that league. 
um, and I'll move on. And so he, he really gave me so much encouragement personally, and he allowed me to to get my debut for Wales as well because it was just before the playoffs or in between the playoffs, and and the manager could have really not allowed me to play, but um, I'm glad he gave me that opportunity and, and he wished me all the best. And and in fact, when I did leave, he wrote me a wonderful letter, which I've still got um, about you know how he enjoyed working with him and how how professional I was as a player and um, what I'd given to Swindon. And it was time time for me to move on. Although he probably didn't realise I'll be back within 12 months with a different manager. <laughs> but uh, but no, that it, and, and that's genuine. You know, I have got this letter still still kept in a safe place, and it's uh, it was a wonderful handwritten letter from Mozzie Ardiles, and that that still means so much to me. Whipping in the crosses from the left and the right hand side. Here's McLaughlin. McLaughlin to try a shot. It's off Gary Bennett, and that is the opening goal. Alan McLaughlin. Let's talk about those playoffs. Um, it was uh, it's because of the demotion, which we'll get to in just a moment. Um, it's kind of like the, the forgotten achievement um, of Swindon Town. They may correct me, but the club seem to gloss over it when it comes to anniversaries and things like that because of, again, the financial irregularities issue. But let's talk about the day because the build-up, there's every, there's every chance Swindon could be punished. So you go to the game knowing that a punishment could happen. How do you prep for that game? Do you think that the... Did you ever expect to be demoted or do you think it would be like a points deduction or a fine? But also the day itself was amazing. No, I mean, we, we, we were told, Gary Herbert was the chairman at that time. He'd spoken to the FA and said, look, we're in the playoffs. If we win the playoffs, you know, in, in the in the right way, from the semi-finals into the final, we get to the Wembley final and we win it, would we go up? And they said yes. Um, so we just assumed, although we did find out later that the, the Sunderland boys had heard that if we did win in the final, that they would actually be promoted. So we knew nothing about that. Uh, we prepared as well as we possibly could and, and we put on a wonderful performance. I know it was looked tight on paper because it was only 1-0. Deflected goal, Allen's you know, hit a good low shot and it's come off Gary Bennett, who, who was a previous teammate of mine at Cardiff. Um, and it's gone into the net and you know, as long as you win, that mm. was the most important thing. But the actual performance itself was, was very, very good. Now, whether the Sunderland lads subconsciously played below their normal selves, I don't know. But we played exceptionally well and it was a wonderful day out for our supporters and it was only a couple of weeks later where we found out about the demotion and that was, uh, that was really hard to take. It does seem incredibly harsh. Nowadays, it's it's a um, a moment in town's history that opposition fans like to uh, mock us for and uh, take the mick generally. But at the time, there was quite a lot of support in the favour of Swindon. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, we've earned the right to, to, to go up. Um, the, the, the finances which were involved weren't particularly high. It wasn't millions and millions of pounds of, of money being misused and, and not paid tax on. I think it was probably, if I remember rightly, about £100,000. Um, so it wasn't vast amounts of money. And, and everybody did genuinely felt that uh, Twinner were hard done. But I think Tottenham and Chelsea possibly previous got fined heavily. But we, we, we had the ultimate punishment, really, of being relegated two divisions and, and one on appeal. So it was, uh, I, I remember being on holiday in Tenerife with my wife and family and Again, lack of social media back in them days and mobile phones. And, and, a, and a guy came up to me who was from Swindon, actually, and he rang his dad or his dad had rang him on holiday and told him that we'd been demoted. And I've actually still kept friends with um, 
Keith and um, and his wife live in Blunsdon, um, and uh, it was an amazing conversation. You know, it was almost well, it was disbelief, and I, you know, sort of asking him you know, what happens next. You know, as if he can tell me, but uh, so it was just yeah, pure dejection and um, just wondering how how we all stood. How did the club stand? Can we? Can we appeal? Can we get back? Uh, will they change their minds? And of course, uh, they didn't. But uh, fortunately, and, and predominantly, most of the players who played in that game did get the opportunity two years later. Do you think that that squad under Aussie Ardiles would have would have stayed in Division One as it was then? Well, I think the big difference with the next one under Glenn was that we lost key players. You know, um, we didn't lose any key players, even though we got demoted. I don't think we lost any players that season, or you might be able to correct me. But um, we pretty much kept the same team. But there was such a negative vibe around after the demotion that we got off to a sticky start. Um, I think I got sold before Ozzy, yeah, I got sold before Ozzy left. The club struggled a bit, and then Glenn came in and kept, kept the boys up. But... Um, the difference being with the, the 93 team with Glenn was obviously Glenn, who was a major influence as both manager and player um, on and off the pitch. Uh, Colin went and a bit of an unsung hero in Dave Mitchell uh, left. So to replace them key you know, staff members and, and players was very, very difficult. We brought some younger players in, lacked a little bit of experience and of course, you know, a club like Swindon going into the Premier League, it's a huge, huge achievement. And, you know, you look at a lot of teams now who go up, even nowadays they struggle and they're breaking their transfer fee records, they're paying wages well above what they can probably afford. And, and you've seen it over the last 20 years, really. Clubs have gone into huge financial difficulties. So we didn't really go into that state of, of overpaying uh, when we did go up eventually. Um, but what we probably didn't do is put major things in, in, into place, you know, like a, a training ground for the future, you know, maybe buying the ground or relocating. Um, and, you know, even now, you know, the training ground is down in Beaversbrook, which is a, you know, it's a bit out of Swindon, which you, and then I'm sure there's a, if we could have done something back then for the future and shown a, a legacy, you know, for the club for many, many decades to come. But, um, that never quite happened, for whatever reason. OK, so we'll, we'll get to Glenn Hoddle and your return to Swindon in just a moment. But let's take a break from Swindon, because despite bringing in Nesta Lorenzo for a lot of money, Town have to cut the cloth accordingly. Veterans Dave Bennett and Mickey Hazard arrived during the season, but we lose two players, um, high-key players in yourself and Adam McLaughlin. You joined Crystal Palace for just over uh, half a million pounds. Did you want to leave or did you have a choice? Not really. Um, there was a couple of clubs interested. Um, I think we played actually we played Oxford on the Tuesday night, and I just got a bit of a bang on my knee. Um, got a call the next morning from Aussie, um, and just said, "Look, we've agreed a fee with the club. You know, we wanted to go and speak to them." So it was Crystal Palace. I think Leeds were also interested at that particular time, but Crystal Palace, and as, you, as we mentioned earlier, you know about the playoffs. They had some top top players, international players. You know, right and bright up front, Jeff Thomas. Um, Andy Gray, Jeff, um, Nigel Martin in goal, you know, uh, uh, Richard Shaw at the back. I mean, there, there was there was international players throughout the team. Eddie McGoldrick on the right, John Salako. I mean, 
they were all very, very good players. Steve Coppel, ex-England international manager. Um, so it was an exciting time. So I went up to Crystal Palace and, and spoke to, to Steve Coppel and the chairman. And, uh, you know, it was pretty much a done deal. You know, you're looking at um, playing in the top flight, an opportunity enhancing my international career. Um, so it was a, it was a no-brainer to go. Obviously, very, always very difficult when you've had an affiliation with a football club as I did with Swindon, you know, it was built over, over a number of years. But, you know, when the club decides that there's an offer they, they have to accept for, for one reason or another, then it's time to move on. And um, it was the next chapter in my in my football career. And what a lot of people, a lot of Swindon fans, when they look at your career, won't realise is Palace, as you said, they're very, very good. This is the season of their best ever finish in the top flight which was third was it a daunting task trying to establish establish yourself in this team well of course whatever club you go to you know like i said earlier when i came back to swindon when i first came to swindon it's it's not so much a daunting task but it's a real challenge so you look around the dressing room and and you you see these these boys who are well established some international stars and of course going to palace you know the majority of them were were international stars but it was the next challenge next chapter um and and you blend in and to be fair players are players they're, they're all pretty good you know going back to the, my debut for wales you know top top players people like ian rush mark hughes dean saunders neville you know these guys are, are nice people you know there wasn't an arrogance um you know there's not a swagger from these guys the top top players are genuine and good people, as Ozzy Ardiles was, as Glenn was, as Lou Macari was. Nice people to work with. So as a player, you embrace it and you, you learn from the experiences. Um, and you try and force yourself into the first team. Whenever you go to a new club or whenever you, a manager signs you, yes, he, he quite likes you, otherwise he wouldn't have signed you. So there's, there's certainly optimism in that respect. But you've got to earn the right and the respect of the players in training and then in your performances. And if your performances are good... They perhaps accept you a little bit more, but they also understand, you know, you're from a, a different area. It, it, is a, it is a tough challenge to, to, to break in, but, you know, they expect you to, to do quite well themselves. And, and if you do well and the team does well, then everybody's happy. And, and that's what your, your aims and objectives are when you go to a new club. On that final day of that season at Palace, you play Manchester United at Selhurst Park and you beat them 3-0, which must have been a great way to cap off that, that season for you. It was, yes. It was, it was fantastic. I made my debut actually against Tottenham after about two, three weeks being at um, at Palace because, uh, like I said, I got injured on the Tuesday night, just a, a bang on to the knee. Uh, so it was a little bit swollen for a few days. And then once I stepped up the training and the intensity... Um, at, at Palace was was a little bit higher. Uh, got used to that, and then as I said, I made my debut against Tottenham. I think we won one nil. I got a good picture actually of me with Gaza, um, so up against each other. So that was, you know, another good memory that I've got to look at when I when, when I walk past an area of the house which which the pictures up. Um, so yeah, to finish against Man United, um, wow, you know, who would have thought that? Perhaps Christmas, when we were in a little bit of a struggle at Swindon, things weren't going as well on the back of the demotion. Um, but there I was playing against Man United, um, you know, at, at uh, Sellers Park. And it was, it was a fantastic day for us. With the following season, uh, games are hard to come by at Palace. So you spend Christmas and New Year of 1991 on loan at Newcastle United, uh, reunited with Ozzy Ardiles. 
Was the plan to ever make that permanent or was it just a bit of game time for you? No, it was um, basically what happened at Palace. I was on 14 appearances and, and if I played 15 games, they had to pay Swindon another £250,000, I think it was back then. Um, so Palace, for political reasons, didn't really want to play the extra money. They'd signed Chris Coleman in the interim in the summer. They had Richard Shaw and they perhaps didn't think that you know, I would I would sustain a, a level of football um, with them type of players, you know, in pursuit of a first team spot. So it was a little bit disappointing that I got to that level. I only found out later. I didn't find out at that particular time. They didn't tell me, but it was a, a political thing where they they'd have had to pay a bit more money. But the golden opportunity, as you say, came from from Aussie who'd moved up to Newcastle, and we were we were actually done a deal to do a straight swap uh, myself to Newcastle. And Franz Carr, the, the winger at Newcastle, to Palace. It wasn't written in a contract. It, it was it was going to be a, a straight swap. I was going there, first of all, because Franz had just had a little injury. And as I got to sign there for a month's loan initially, or, or two months' loan initially, um, Franz Carr actually fractured his kneecap in training on his, on his return. So that put the whole thing in jeopardy. Um, but I went and I stayed for a couple of months and as you say I, I, I spent the Christmas spell up at Newcastle and the wife and family came up which was great um, had a really great time fantastic place to play football um, although they were in uh, the lower echelons of where they wanted to be um, what a football club you know the passion the support that they got even in them days and again it a wonderful experience which has was put me in good stead for, for the rest of my career I've lived in Newcastle. I spent about five years up there and I completely agree. It is intense. Match day or not match day, they live and breathe it. And I think a lot of people, especially in the South, don't really appreciate, forget about that they're a sleeping giant or things like that, but it is just an absolutely crazy city for football. No, it is. You're right. I mean, uh, I was only, I actually signed the same day as Dave Kelly, Ned Kelly. Mm. Um, I think he came from West Ham possibly. Mm. Um, but Dave was a great striker, um, scored lots of goals at championship level, never scored the, the amount of goals he, he, uh, as in the, in the Premier, but he was a fun, fantastic player. When we roomed together, we stayed in the hotel together initially, and then we got a flat together um, until our partner's wives come up. Um, and it was wonderful. It was, it was a really fantastic experience. I mean, Dave stayed longer, obviously he was signed permanently, but no, he's a... He was a real character, Dave, and it was great that we sort of settled in together, really, in, in that respect. But um, again, someone I, I, I keep in touch with uh, over, the, over my playing career and in coaching career, I've come across, across him quite a few times. So, so yeah, he, he was a good signing. Um, and as I said, after a couple of months, Swindon Town, actually, Glenn was the manager then and came back in for me. And again, it was, it was a bit of a no-brainer in that respect. Um, it, was a, it was a drop down, obviously. I was disappointed the Newcastle move didn't quite come to fruition because it was such a wonderful place and would have been a wonderful opportunity. But when Swindon came calling, majority of the players were the same. It was like coming back home. And, um, you know, I was delighted I, I, I came back. Glenn had steadied the ship. It was a, it was a, a totally different um, technical type of football. He was playing himself and he was an unbelievable player. Uh, in training, I mean, his and his training methods were, you know, they were way ahead of the time at, at that particular time, and it was a pleasure to play in the team. It really was. I mean, uh, 
and the success we got as well. It was just disappointing that uh, we lost him so so quick uh, after the playoff final. Well played, Hoddle. Stay with the 92-93 season. So we've had Lou Macari, Ozzy Adiles, now Glenn Hoddle. Uh, Hoddle pushed you more into that attacking role. Was that similar to the role that you had at Bath City? Similar in some respects, but but also different in that we, we played 3-5-2. So we had three centre-halves behind us, although Glenn playing centre-half, he, he wasn't there as often as he should have been. He was marauding forward and, and creating and scoring goals as he did at Wembley. So Colin and, and Sean predominantly kept their positions, you know, as two centre-halves. And when Glenn dropped back in, they'd split a little bit wider, which allowed us with that extra insurance centre-half. It allowed people like myself in, in the left wing-back role and Kerslake and Nick Summerby more latterly um, to express ourselves in a in a more forward, advanced position. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it was enjoyable. I mean, you could make a run down the wing, and if Glenn was in possession, I mean, he would he, he was like a wide, he'd be like a wide receiver, and he he was the quarterback finding you with pinpoint accuracy and left foot, right foot, outside. I've never seen anyone strike a ball, you know, in all my years in the game. You know, he could hit a ball with his outside of his left foot, outside of his right foot. He could bend balls into two areas which you just, you know, only ever imagined. You know, and you see players now in the Premier League who are very, very good. But if Glenn was, you know, in his prime playing in the Premier League, he would be an outstanding talent. And the fact that I think he played 50-odd times for England, you know, nowadays he, he, he could be the difference, you know, in creativity to make the team that much stronger. And uh, it was to the detriment of the English team, I think, back in back in his day. But I think he seemed to get on, on with it. He never talked about things like that. He, he was always a, quite a positive person, Glenn. And, you know, he got the best out of me, as Ozzy did. You know, I was just proud and privileged to, to play in their successful teams. And, and ironically, I went, as I went into coaching, um, getting my coaching badges in the late 90s and 2000s, on the English badge, uh, Martin Hunter, who was the presenter in, in, in one particular session, he, he was showing all the Swindon clips from, from the early 90s with Glenn and how to play out from the back and how, how wing back should play. And I was actually on screen when there was many young coaches learning, you know, how to play this role. And I actually stood up and, you know, showed a few uh, diagrams and, and, and showed them how my role would change from a, a flat back four into a wing back and uh, how it affects the team in and out of possession. And um, it, it was great. It was great to, to see that other people were trying to educate themselves from how Swindon Town played. Amazing. Uh, Town missed out on the playoffs in your on your return season, largely thanks to Blackburn Rovers' dastardly actions when they signed Duncan Shearer. Um, well, they were a very progressive club anyway. It wasn't obvious what they did in that respect. Um, they were signing good, good quality players. Kenny Dalglish was there. You know, Blackburn, Sir Jack Haywood was, uh, was the chairman then. And they, you could just tell that they were going to go on and be a successful club. And unfortunately, Jack passed away and, and things have changed quite dramatically since, although they, they appear now to be back on the up uh, under Tony Mowbray's uh, uh, reign. So, no, I don't think anybody really realised. I mean, they were just signing the best players around and Duncan Shearer with his goal-scoring um, ratio. He was he was one of the top players and, and very much in demand. 
I think it's just simply because they sold him in the summer after signing him. He was only there for a few months. But anyway, I won't forgive him for it. Let's talk way. Moncare <laughs> <laughs> plays it back in again and no offside. And Taylor has scored. And that surely means it's the Premier League for Swindon Town now. Let's talk about Wales because... Between 1990 and 1994, you are pretty regular in the Welsh setup, whether you play or not. Um, you earn 23 caps, 16 of them, while you're at Swindon over your two spells. That must have been an absolutely remarkable uh, experience for you. Well, it was. And when you think of my sort of career path, you know, although being the Cardiff boy and, and, and my career started quite brightly, although I didn't get taken on by Chelsea, that was that was like a distant thing in my mind. Playing for Cardiff was fantastic, although I never imagined playing for my country. And even when I was successful at club level, it never really, I wouldn't say it wasn't not an ambition, but I, I perhaps never quite thought I was good enough. It was something I would love to have done, but I never quite thought the call, the call would actually come. You know, playing outside, just outside the top level. So most of the boys in the squad at that time, uh, people like Mark Bowen, Dave Phillips, you know, young players, but they were playing in, in the top, top league. So it was only end of season um, game against Costa Rica. I think a couple of players pulled out. I think Mark Bowen might have been injured at that time. And, and I got the call. Uh, I think we got a, a letter to the club from Terry Orth, you know, requesting I, I'd, I'd come into the camp. Didn't think I'd start, to be honest. Um, and he was at Ninian Park where I I'd made a, a small impact in my early career. Um, so it was my hometown club. Uh, hometown ground and uh, it was a wonderful experience to, to play against Costa Rica and we won 1-0 which always adds to it um, I actually you know I thought I did okay myself the manager told me I did very well and as you say from that moment on I was pretty much part of the squad if, if not starting in the key games and uh, we had some wonderful memories they were great players you know they deserved to play on, on the top stage People like Rushy, as I mentioned earlier, Mark Hughes, Dean Saunders, you know, Ryan Giggs came in, who's now the Welsh manager, and I work uh, work with him at the moment. So to see these guys at you know training ground level and the stuff they could do, again, was a wonderful experience, and uh, very very proud to to make my debut and go on and make another 22 appearances for Wales. Ryan Giggs had that uh, reputation of shunning. Wales maybe at the request of Alex Ferguson you know he was he was a world superstar back when he started out at Wales now you work with him do you does he remember being a part of the side with yourself yeah very much so I think you know when as a player um you always remember your teammates you know for good or bad <laughs> um we actually had some, we did have some good times um he was very young he was only 17 at the time when he broke into the squad and we could all see then you know he was a very very talented player just needed a bit of nurturing and that's exactly what sir alex ferguson did you know i am amazed when people talk about you know his lack of commitment to wales i mean man united back then in the 90s they were playing 60 odd games a season ryan was a, a young 17 18 year old young man just starting out on his career and all that sir alex did was protect him you know, he played in the in the qualifiers, but he didn't play in any friendlies. And I can fully understand that. I mean, nowadays you can't do it because once the international break is enforced, you know, if a, an international country calls the player up, he, you know, he has to go. The club don't have the call. Where back then, 
Um, there was no international break. They were just Wednesday night fixtures or or Tuesday night fixtures. And the, 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 the clubs had the call. So if they didn't want to release a player, you know, you'd often hear that there's an injury or a niggle. But, you know, nowadays, at least the national sides, if you call up a player on the international break week, then it's, it's country before club in that instance, where back then the clubs the clubs had a bit more pull. Wales in the 90s are frustratingly inconsistent. I'm looking through your the games that you played and there's a couple that just stick out Clear as day. The summer of 91, you beat Germany 1-0. I've got to read out this Germany squad because I think almost all of them are World Cup winners. So it's, forgive the pronunciation here, Ilgner, Bertolt, Bremer, Buchwalder, Kohler, Helmer, Reuter, Matthias, Sammer, Klinsmann, Voller with Thomas Doe and Effenberg on the bench. Well, yeah, to win 1-0 as well. I mean, it was incredible at the Arms Park. Um, so we went away from playing at Cardiff, Swansea, Wrexham's, uh, home grounds to perhaps ha- pulling the nation together and go into the national stadium. Um, it held, I think, about forty-five thousand people if it was full, and it we you know became our home really, our football home as well as the rugby. Um, and being you know a proud Welshman and watching the rugby team play there in the seventies, you know the the Phil Bennetts, the the Barry Johns, the Gareth Edwards, you know to watch them play there and and when the national anthem is sang there, it was. It was something to behold. And, um, you know, when you talk about the hair standing up on the back of your neck, you know, the first time we played there when there was 45,000, and that might have been the night, possibly, that, you know, to beat Germany, who were the current World Cup holders, and the names you just read out there just reminded me of them. Unbelievable. And I actually set the goal up. I don't know if you can remember. You might not uh, if you might not have even been born. I'd picked the ball, you know, I think off the goalkeeper Nev. They just had a player sent off. I think Buckwald had got sent off. He was late in the game, the eightieth minute, clipped the ball over the top. I could see Rushy's run. He always looked to get him behind when he could. And the ball skidded through perfectly. Not sure if he took a touch, but he just volleyed it home. And we saw the, the remainder of the game up. But um, wonderful, wonderful night of, of memories for me. The only thing, I got a, a random drugs test as they were starting back then. And it took me two hours to, to join my family because I, uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't give a sample. So uh, good and bad memories. But no, they, uh, we flew out to Florida, I think, two days later. And we had a, a wonderful holiday with the family. And, uh, you know, their memories are incredible. Um, and you never forget it. Never forget it. I am as English as they come, but because I live in Bristol, I often go and watch Wales with work colleagues. Um, and I was at the Austria game last year where Bed Woodburn um, scored the only goal of the game just as the national anthem um, had just uh, stopped on the terraces. And it was an unbelievable experience. Um, really, really, really something else. Something I haven't experienced watching England, sadly, but just to observe it was really good. Well, yeah, I mean, we're, we're a small nation, um, perhaps the underdog a lot of the time. And what Chris Coleman has done um, in his tenure, he's raised the bar of the of the standards throughout Welsh football um, and to qualify, and, and not only to qualify, to play as well as they did in the Euros was, was phenomenal. Yes, you've got your quality players, you know, your Ramseys and your Bales. But there's an influx of young players now coming in who have aspirations to, to do equal, equally as well. You know, you're still going to need your Gareth Bales and your Ramseys to produce the moments of magic. But there is a lot of young talent coming through. And I think it's encapsulated the nation, you know. They, they love winners. They love sportsmen who give everything. Predominantly still a rugby country. But 
what Chris has done and the team did in the Euros has really, you know, pulled everybody together and given everybody hope for the future. And, um, you know, it's a tough task for Ryan. It's not going to be easy, that's for sure. And it's in transition with the young players that he's, he's bringing in and, and involving and, and giving them the experience to move forward. And certainly, you know, being part of the intermediate groups, the younger groups, the 19s, 17s and 21s, you know, we're trying to give him more players who can put pressure on the current players. But um, as I mentioned, we're a small nation. We haven't got huge numbers of players that certainly of England have got. But we have got talent there and we've got to nurture it. And the clubs have to nurture them and try and give them as much game time to help them uh, with their continued development. Final point on the, uh, your Wales career. I'm just looking through some of the the, uh, the players you went up against, Tafarel, Cafu, Babeto, uh, Batistuta, Kanigia, uh, Ruggieri, Enzo Schifo, Brian Laudrup, Rude Hullet, Frank Rijkaard and Marco Van Basten, Georgie Hadji from that night, of course. I imagine those, uh, those opposition, playing against those sort of national teams is a relief or a nice break from John Beck's Cambridge United. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, John Beck. Well, listen, he was successful in his own yeah. right, maybe only for a short period. But um, but no, I mean you're rolling them off there, and again it, it brings back very very pleasant memories. Um, the Romania game you mentioned, you know Hadji, unbelievable. I remember going out there. I actually picked up a little bit of tonsillitis in in the away game. Uh, I think it was the first in the campaign, and we lost five one, and we were three down after fifteen twenty minutes, and we were thinking, oh my god, this could be seven or eight because they were an outstanding team. We went on to do very well in the 94 World Cup. But uh, the home game was one of the big negatives in my career, without a shadow. You know, A, being selected to play in that team because Mark Bowen was obviously pushing really hard and uh, playing at the top level. Um, And Terry Yorath picked me. So I was absolutely delighted. I think I had to get about 25 tickets for the game. Uh, All your families there, you know, and, and all the relatives. So it was a huge, huge night. We had to win the game. You know, a draw wasn't good enough because of previous results. But we got ourselves into a position where it was the final group game of the campaign uh, to go to USA World Cup. And uh, there was so much excitement. Everybody believed, the players believed we could get there. The the supporters believed we could get there. Um, And Nev, who had been, you know, Neville Southall, who had been unbelievable, probably the world's best goalkeeper without being able to quite prove it on the, on the international stage. You know, he, he makes a little bit of a mistake himself from Hadji, 30 yards, 25 yards out, just low, goes down and doesn't quite grasp the ball. And then we get back in the game, you know, um, with an opportunity. And, uh, you know, the opportunity to go up, step up and score a penalty. You know, it's a, it's a great opportunity. You know, it's 1v1 against the keeper. But... Um, Unfortunately, I hit it a little bit too high. It's hit the crossbar and, and come back into play. So, one of them things. I mean, some people would blame me for for not getting to to the US. Some people were um, showed a bit more sympathy. The players were fantastic. You know, there was never a negative thing in, in amongst the dressing room or the manager. Um, but of course, outside, you know, there's always a scapegoat, isn't there? When something goes wrong, and and I took the the, the brunt of it. But um, you know, you've got to be strong. I had enough things in my career to, to hold me in good stead. I always had a good family behind me, you know, great wife and, and great family behind that. Um, and, that you know, you, you need their support at some stage. I don't think I slept when I got home from the game that night. 
Um, but it was back to business, back to your club. And John Gorman was at the game. Uh, and, and he said to me, you know, straight away, look, if we get a penalty Saturday, you'll be taking it. You're the penalty taker. Uh, and ironically, that's exactly what happened. And I uh, forgave you. And I forgave you there and then, Paul, to be honest. Again, I'm not a Welsh fan, but putting it in against Ipswich, lovely stuff. Well, absolutely, you know, and you've got to have strength of character, strength of mind to do that. Um, I always saw it as my role for the team. You know, um, there wasn't an awful lot of takers, even in the Welsh setup, believe it or not, with with the quality that we had there. You know, anybody want to take a penalty? I'd always put my hand up, and um, I'd scored three out of three previous, so my record was was a hundred percent. And unfortunately, the, the the key one was the one that I missed, but. Um, I just never got the chance to, to take one again and perhaps erase a little bit of the memory, but uh, it, it's there forever, isn't it? What pleased me you know, with Chris Coleman, um, his tenure, was that uh, they did qualify eventually. And you know, after many, many years of failure, you know, I was as delighted as anyone and as proud as anyone when Chris finally got to, through the qualifiers and... Um, into the major tournament for the first time since 59, I think it is. And uh, let's hope we can do it again in the not-too-distant future. Absolutely. Well, that's really fired up the home crowd now and Swindon buzzing here. And because, again, rather unset with that cross and the shot almost comes to Mitchell. It's another goal. Incredible. People are going to be starting to uh, listen to this and go, talk about Swindon, for God's sake. And we are now going to move back to Swindon Town. So 1992 and 1993 season sees Town compete yet again. And it's another squad full of what would become Town favourites and legends. Um, perhaps with maybe a little bit more depth than compared to 1990. We had Digby Hammond in goal, um, rotating because Digby was out for a bit and went out on loan at Man United. We had Kerslake and Summerby coming through. It was yourself. Colin Calderwood was still there. Sean Taylor was now very much in there. Had Hoddle, of all people, at Sweeper, Mickey Hazard, Martin Ling. These were all my heroes. John Moncur, Ross McLaren, Kevin Horlock were starting out. And then we haven't even talked about the forwards yet. Maskell, Mitchell and White. Unbelievable. As a 10, 11-year-old at the time, this, these are my absolute heroes. Um, was that the favourite t- town side that you played in? Uh, I mean, it probably was. Um, by then I'd been at the club quite a while obviously gone and come back so you had a real affinity um, all the players got on really well the wives, you know, on Saturday evenings after a game, we'd all go out as groups, you know, Sean Taylor and his wife Jackie and Martin and Caroline lived quite close by I was in sort of West Swindon and we'd go to the local pub, the village inn or, and we'd have a drink and, and there was nothing, no problem, you know not drunk and stupid, just a few drinks enjoy ourselves, sometimes have a bite to eat, go into town. And we, 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 we were amongst the supporters. And I, and I think it's so difficult for players to have that affinity now because they're not really wanted to be in that environment by the clubs, you know, in case something happens. Social media, people take photos and it's plastered everywhere. So, you know, just having a quiet drink in your local, maybe that's a thing of the past for, for the players nowadays. And I think that's a sad thing. You know, I'm quite pleased I, I played when I did really because... There's nothing better than, you know, if you've won on a Saturday, there's no better feeling in football. You know, as a player and as a supporter, watching your team win and being involved in the team that wins, can you go and celebrate? You know, and these boys, they're not recluses, don't get me wrong, but they have to be so careful now. 
you know, one slight thing out of line. And, and I've read things about current Swindon players over the last couple of years. You know, I still live in the area. And, and it's easy to fall out of line. Um, but, you know, you've got to have an affinity with your supporters. You've got to have that relationship where, you know, they can come up to you and talk to you and ask you for, for a signature. And they should be able to talk socially to you, you know. And I don't think that happens like it, like it used to. And, you know, I'm just pleased I was in the era I was in. Obviously, I work with all the young players now. And you can see how different it is. You know, they don't interact. They're not, not such good talkers to, to people. You know, they don't necessarily understand that being humane is the most important thing in, in a life. You know, whether you're Ronaldo or whether you're playing in the second division, you should be able to talk to people. And and, and that, unfortunately, because they're, they're put into a bit of a bubble, the football players, when they do come out of it, whether they're released or, or their careers come to an end, they find it and there's all these mental issues now that are, that are appearing. You know, and I think uh, there's going to be a lot more of that in the future because these players get put on such a pedestal and away from the normal man in the street that uh, it's hard then at a later stage to interact and, and, and be able to speak to people on a normal level. But um, that's my personal feeling. Um, other people might see it differently, but that's how I, how I I really enjoyed my time as a professional footballer. I didn't see myself on a pedestal. I was I was a I was a I was a very very lucky man who had a bit of talent. Um, but I could always talk to people, and I still do now. You know, I still get lots of people. Even tonight, I had a, this afternoon, I had a game of golf, and someone comes up to me. I'm more than happy to, to shake their hands. You know, and people say such lovely things to me, and and I'll never ever you know want that to stop. And on your road to the Premier League, you play some crazy football matches. Lots of goals, both conceded and scored. Um, low score one. I remember away at Sunderland, you scoring the winner, but they missed two penalties. And of course, there was that Birmingham game, um, 6-4. Um, the, the biggest surprise, I guess, for that is we scored six goals and you didn't score one of them. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that was the year I scored 12. Uh, Sean, Sean Taylor and myself, defenders. Although perhaps he was more defensive than me for sure. Um, yeah, part and part of my role as a wing back was to try and create, you know, get some crosses in the box for the for the two great strikers or three, four great strikers we had, um, and also to score goals. You know, you were allowed to advance forward, you were allowed to get in the box, even when the opposite wing back was crossing the ball. I would I would always be probably in and around the edge of the box, you know, trying to score myself. So. Yeah, it was uh, incredible, really. I think I scored five one-nil victories. Um, so I played a big, big part in the, in the promotion that year. But as Sean Taylor did, and, and as all the players, but that six-four one. I think it was Easter time, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, up at Birmingham, were we four-one down? We were, I think it was. Yes. And and Sean had gone off. I remember he he cut his head as he cut his head most games <laughs> anyway. There was always blood. Um, came back on with his head bandaged up. I think scored a header. Dave Mitchell. He did. Straight yeah, away. Well, listen, he was probably the bravest man I have ever played with, and and you know I played with some players, but Sean was. I mean, he would put his head through anything just just to get an advantage over the opponent, and that was a wonderful thing to have, you know. And he, and he, again, such a humane, wonderful man. Um, you mentioned earlier that we that perhaps the club don't put too much on in in um, celebration of what we achieved, but we, we actually did have a. A 25-year anniversary recently with Glenn King to the club. Mm, yeah. And also we did have the, the celebration of the Aussie Adiles. Oh, and every, I think, 12, 12 players turned up. And Aussie turned up. Um, and Glenn did re most recently last March. 
Um, so they, they do celebrate it, but I don't think it's, it's widely um, exposed. Um, but no, it was great to see all the ex-players back on, on both occasions. And, and like I said, I still remain friends with, with a number of the, the, the ex-players and certainly players who, who are still in the coaching game, people like Martin Lang. And I'm, I'm really pleased that he, he now appears to be fully back to his old self. Because Mark was a wonderful, uh, Martin yeah. was a wonderful character, and and it was so sad to to see um, his, his his mental illness issues. Absolutely, and I cheerfully withdraw the uh, the statement that Swindon don't do enough. Maybe it's just simply it wasn't publicised. Maybe I just missed it. As a side, you almost linked up with Martin at Torquay, didn't you, when you were youth coach at Swindon? I did. Yeah, there was it was an opportunity, but to be fair, I felt at that time that the Swindon board were a progressive board. There was lots of plans in place to move the club forward. Uh, we had some of the wealthiest men in, in, in the world, in the world financial institutions. And it really appeared to me, working deeply in the club uh, and having been at the club's development programme for a number of years, I thought, you know, we're going we're gonna to really progress here. You know, there was talk about building uh, a new training site and talk about the stadium and relocation. Um, and the club looked like it was it was going to progress, and maybe this homely thing with me that I didn't want to leave South Wales when I was younger, um, and then being embedded into to the Wiltshire territory and my family growing up here, um, Torquay wasn't quite as appealing, <laughs> uh, and I just felt there was a future for me in coaching at Swindon Town, and uh, that proved to be the case for for a few years on uh, until it it did come to an end, like. Most good things do at some stage. Mm-hmm. Nothing lasts forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you move on. And that's what you have to do. Picked up by Ling. They've got four players forward here, Swindon. Ling going alone for the moment and turns it to Moncare. It's a goal. Swindon have scored. We'll move on by going back, back to 1993 and Wembley. Um, something that you've probably talked about or thought about every day since. I know I have. Was it a different feeling from 1990 this time? Because there was no background noise. It was just focus and taking on Leicester, who would beat us over the season. They were a very good team. Um, was was the squad were the squad confident? Yeah, yeah. I mean... Um... I didn't realise that we had, we hadn't beaten Leicester that that year. I know they were very very tough. They'd been to the playoffs, I think, the two or three years previous as well. So they had a little bit of experience. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that stands out for me more than anything, really, is the fact we'd had it taken away from us. We'd had the experience of going up to Wembley and all the preparation that that involved. So to go back there the second time, you can actually enjoy it a bit more now. You don't enjoy it to the extent that you're relaxed and you're not worried about the result because it's a cup final and, and we all knew it was going to be the, the Premier League's first year um, in existence. And we wanted, to, we wanted to put it to bed. You know, um, we had it taken away from us. We, we didn't want anything taken away from us again. And as I mentioned earlier in, in, in the interview, it was predominantly the same group of players apart from maybe a small handful mm-hmm. so to go back and experience it and really enjoy it again you know two wins two appearances and two wins at Wembley is is incredible and um, you know you like you say you talk about it every day I probably talk about it once a week I don't <laughs> know if I talk about it every day but hey if some of them wants to talk about it I'm all ears and uh, they were wonderful wonderful times coming back on the bus you know not only the game 
but coming back on the bus and all the bridges draped in red and white and I think a couple of the boys got on the uh, out through the skylight on the, on the bus and stood on the roof and dented the roof on Barnes <laughs> buses and but then all the way to the county ground and then we went I think on from the county ground to the Devere and we had a celebration there you don't forget them things you know you, you erase the, the negative stuff to a degree but again sometimes you have to talk about that and it's part, you know, footballers' careers are roller coasters. Very rare does a, a player have a a one-dimensional career that that goes from the low level to the very, very peak. Everybody has ups and downs, and um, some people have more downs and ups. Some people have more ups and downs. But it is a bit of a roller coaster, and you have to enjoy the ride um, and embrace it. You know, and look back fondly when you get the opportunity to, 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 to do so. Well, town do what they do best, and that is not make it easy for them. So we surrender a three-goal lead when Steve White is ruthlessly brought down hmm, by Kevin Paul. Uh-huh. Uh, David Eddery points to the spot. During your career, you, you took some high-profile penalties. You experienced the highs of scoring and the lows of missing. Um, when the whistle blows initially and and David Eddery in this case points to the spot. What goes through your mind as as a penalty taker? Is it mechanical, like oh, it's my time to take a penalty, or do you think, oh Christ, here we go? Paul Bowden from the spot for Swindon. He scored. No, absolutely. Uh, I'd taken penalties throughout the season, and you just think, oh, hang on, I've got a golden opportunity here. Mm. Um, Let's let's get the ball. Let's settle down. Let's calm any any nerves if there are any. Because at the time you don't really think nervously. Otherwise you probably wouldn't take them. Yeah. You know, I think anyone who gets that way and, and if you if you're not confident at scoring the goal from the penalty spot, then you simply wouldn't take it. So no, it was a wonderful opportunity. It was a, it was an incredible game, wasn't yeah. it? I mean, three 0 up, as you say. I mean, and then all of a sudden we're pegged back. Um, but they gave everything, and, and before the penalty, I think we'd had one or two opportunities again to, to go ahead. So we were still playing quite well. It's just that they gave everything. They scored three good goals, um, one or two, certainly, possibly fouls on Fraser mm. or Colin. I think got fouled in one potentially. But it, it was what it was. It was late in the game. It was a wonderful opportunity for me. Um, I actually damaged my toe. Didn't quite break it, but damaged the ligaments and my big toe. Big Steve Walsh had, had tried to boot me, I think, in the first half, um, and he bent my toe right back. It was a real heavy challenge, and I, when I took my, I tried to take my boot off half time actually, and my toe was quite swollen, so I put my boot back on to avoid any more swelling. And I, I just wanted to strike it hard and low, um, and thankfully, and, it, and lots of supporters, as they still remind me now, they, they couldn't look and they looked <laughs> away. Um, and they just waited for the for the roar, and thankfully there was a loud roar, and uh, it took us to the promised land. Someone made me aware of something um, earlier on, actually. They showed me a picture of you taking a penalty, and they told me to look closer at your boots from that day at Wembley. Chris Tanner, who was the media man for many years, he's recently <laughs> reminded me at a sporting dinner, that, uh, and he asked me to explain it too, so... <laughs> I'll do exactly the same. Basically, I, I was sponsored by high-tech. Um, and back then, the high-tech boots weren't particularly comfortable. So they were a personal sponsor. I, I wore their boots and, and some sportswear. Um, didn't get paid a vast amount of money. It was just pretty much free free gear, really. Um, so the boots were, were a little bit, um, shall I say, not very flexible. 
um, and they, they would slip off your heel. But they had huge, big tongues. I don't know if you can remember them. Big tongues and a big white um, logo down the side. Yeah. But being a big fan of Puma Kings, uh, which I wore most of my career, um, I took my I used to take my boots to the cobblers in Rodbourne, and he'd unstitch, he'd unstitch the Puma badge, take the tongue out, and literally change them over from the high-tech model. So I tried to blacken them out, of course, you know, once you're playing on wet grass every week, the, the, the colour would move off and invariably you would see if my foot was raised up, studs raised up, you would see that they were Puma Kings dressed up in high-tech um, logo. That's what you wanted to hear, I'm sure. It was. Imagine if that happened today. Well, listen, you can you can go to sports companies now if you're sponsored by them and they'll literally design the boot around your foot. <laughs> high-tech weren't... <laughs> Kitek weren't quite as um, elaborate as that. So, uh, no, it was get what you're given and wear them. Uh, and that's what I tried to do. Again, Swindon do something great and then something bad happens immediately after Glenn Hoddle leaves. How disappointed were the squad when, when Glenn decided to go? Was it a surprise? Um, it was a little bit of a surprise, but also there was the fact that... Um, Glenn, when he first came back from Monaco, he'd had an injury and he did a lot of his rehab at Chelsea. So there was a, a bit of infinite, you know, affection there and perhaps a little bit of, you know, relationship built with the, with the chairman, Ken Bates, at the time. I, I, I don't know if it was pre-arranged or pre-done. I, I don't really know the ins and outs, but for sure, when we, when we heard that he was going and, and it all happened so quick, it was a huge disappointment, you know, not only as a fantastic manager... But as a wonderful player, and he, he, you know, he was incredible that season for us. Um, the way we played, you know, who could who could fill his boots in that role if we were going to play that system? There were many players who could, you know, play like Glenn did. Mm. But of course, as a manager, in terms of recruiting, in terms of the continuity, who could replace him? And and probably at that time, John was leaving. I mean, I know John tells the story that he was walking out with Glenn, and the chairman called him back in and said, look, you know, we want you to to keep the continuity of the, of the team and play the same type of football. And, we're, we're, you know, we're prepared to give you the opportunity. And, and John, you know, he often says, you know, it was a, it was an unbelievable decision and the opportunity would perhaps never come around again. So he, he took it and John was, you know, and he still is. I speak, still speak to John on a regular basis. John, again, what a, what a man, what a wonderful person to, to be involved in football with. You know, and people say yeah, he's too nice. He was never a manager. You know, in my opinion, that's that's not technically right. John was a wonderful man. We played unbelievable football. We were in real transition. We'd lost key players. The young players we brought in, you know, the Adrian Whitbreads, Kevin Horlocks, you know, Jan Aga. Jan Aga took six months to score a goal, and yet we still stuck with him. Maybe a more experienced, you know, English player who, who perhaps had the experience of playing at top level might have been better. Who knows? You know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Once Yang got going, we couldn't stop him. Nobody could stop him. Even his his own teammates couldn't stop him. But, you know, we played unbelievable football. And it was a pleasure to play in. It was just very, very clinical league. Top, top players you're playing against him week in, week out. There's no easy games at that level. And, you know, we, we weren't quite good enough. And, and that's the bottom line. We, The fine lines between winning and losing, winning and drawing... You know, we won and drew. Well, we certainly drew at some fantastic grounds, that's for sure. Mm. Uh, 
but the, we were off to a tough start. You know, it took 17 games to get our first victory. And uh, John, you know, what a wonderful man. He kept coming in on a Monday and saying, look, you know, we played really well and we watched videos and we did play well. But you make one mistake in the Premier League and it don't matter how well you play, you then your mindset has to change. You know, you're 1-0 down. You've got to try and get back in the game. And we were a little bit naive and obviously inexperienced at that top, top level. I think now for, for fans who didn't experience the Premier League, because I went to games in the Premier League, I, I regret that I wasn't old enough to appreciate it at the time, because of course you think when you're a kid, ah, it will come back up any time, any, no problem. Um, but when they see like the, the minus, well, the, the, the 100 goals conceded, they think it was some sort of abysmal season, but it was a tremendous experience. I don't remember anybody being like, John Gorman has to go and things like that. We were just enjoying the fact that we were there. As a footballer, I mean, you've already mentioned, and it was brilliant when you were talking about it, like the footballers of the Premier League in 1993 and four, they're in the community, they're living amongst the fans where that isn't the case now. They live in leafy suburbs and big houses and it's all it's all uh, closed off. What was the life of a professional Premier League footballer like then? I mean, you didn't have Instagram to show everybody that you're driving around in your fancy cars and things like that. What was the general day-to-day like after training? Exactly the same as it was the previous few years to be honest um i had a good relationship with with supporters um the local community where i lived out in west swindon all great people i think everybody enjoyed the the season you know it was it was difficult as a player because when you're getting beat and as i said earlier as well when when you're winning it's great and you can enjoy it when you're getting beat most weeks it is draining it does affect you it does affect your family but we we remain positive because of people like john at the club and, and the spirit around the club, you know, there was lots of tremendous people working, not only on the football side, but in the offices. And it was a real family, family club mm. um, with tremendous support on and off the pitch. And uh, we just, you know, we, as, as hard as it was, we just remained in a belief that we could turn it around and we could get the results. And, and you know, we tried to take it. As, as long and as far as we possibly could and, and, and enjoy it. And uh, we did, but obviously there was huge disappointment to get relegated as well. A little bit of space for Frank McAvenny. Away from Parker. Not from Bruce, though. Nyholt with a shot, took a deflection, he did! With Nyholt has equalised for Swindon Town. And bottom of the table they may be, but they are made of stern stuff. As you say, it was it was a great experience for the long-serving backroom members of the staff, John Trollope, Andy Rowland, um, Kevin Morris, the physio, and of course, the kit man, Eddie Buckley. So they must have been absolutely loving all of that. Oh, of course. I mean, Eddie Buck and uh, and Kev, I mean, they were they were like Laurel and Hardy, weren't they, <laughs> at, the, at the club? I mean, they were full of antics and there was always something going wrong with one of them. So uh, when we go away, I mean, Eddie, don't, you know, rest their souls. I mean, Kev as well, fantastic characters and real football people at the club. You know, Eddie, the kit man, forgot the kit one game. I mean, you know, how, how could that ever happen in today's game? You know, there's about 20, 20 skips goes, you know, from, from the ground to the away grounds. Back then, it was probably two skips. We got on a, um, the coach had a pre-match meal and I think Martin Ling asked for, for his uh, un- undergarment which he wore to keep his groins warm it was like a, an extra bit of padding 
And Eddie said, yeah, I'll go and check it. It'll, it'll be on the bus. Uh, and lo and behold, goes out, gets uh, Mick, Mick the driver to open up the, the side panel, and he forgot the kit. So the, the chairman had to bring it. I think we were playing Brentford away, and we, we were only down the road in Slough in the Marriott having a pre-match. So the chairman brought it down. And, and, I mean, them sort of stories, you, they, they'll never be replicated because of the way the game is now. But they're true, honest facts of what used to go on. And, you know, Eddie ran on in, in a reserve game once with... with um, with a bucket of bucket of water and, and, and the old magic sponge, and he picked the ball up and run off with the ball and left the bucket on the pitch. I mean, <laughs> these things they happened, um, and what a wonder! You know, they were wonderful people, wonderful people at the club, and great characters, and they're sorely missed, obviously, uh, which is part of part of life. Your Premier League experience isn't too bad at all. You score at Old Trafford, White Hart Lane, Goodison Park, Highbury. You score in a town win. Um, In my opinion, you show the grit in sticking that penalty away against its which you downplay it. But after Romania, that must have been a great relief to you. I've probably listed um, your fondest memories, but is there anything else I've missed out there? Old Trafford. I mean, to score at Old Trafford against Schmeichel. You know, that was incredible against Dave Seaman at Highbury. Mm. You know, some of you mentioned already. Um, Tottenham, 1 0. Uh, 1 all, sorry. So, no, all great memories. Mm. I mean, we had some wonderful times at Swindon. Um, and you can't beat playing. You know, that's one thing. You know, you're, you're rekindling all my memories about my playing side. I'm now in the coaching side. But certainly as a player, you have to enjoy it. It is short. You know, some careers are a lot shorter than others. I had a a pretty good career over over the time span. Uh, yes, lower level to the top level. You know, I played non-league to Premier League and international. So I've had a huge, wide spectrum of, of experiences. But you enjoy playing. There are no better times than playing football. You know, going out, preparing on a, you know, a Thursday, Friday, you know, sacrificing many things. And then the, the the match day when you wake up in the morning and you prepare, you know, you have your pre-match meal at home or, or, or if you're in a hotel. And you can't beat that going out, you know, in front of big crowds, even small crowds, just the buzz of playing football. And, and all, all lads who play football at any level, you know, the buzz you get and, and the enjoyment you get from playing 90 minutes on a Saturday. And if you win, fantastic. Enjoy it. And and you can't take them, them, them great, great memories away. But... Uh, Coaching's the next best thing. I mean, the guys go into media, you know, and, and cover football and they're involved in football. Sam Parkin, you know, mm. I speak to Sam uh, when, whenever I bump into him and, and he obviously went into that side. It's a volatile, it's a tough career going into coaching, managing because clubs don't give you the time to build, you know, build a team, build a squad. It's almost instantaneous, isn't it? You've mm. got to win games straight off the bat. And that, that's, that must be difficult. You know, if you're a young man trying to become a coach, you know, there's Gerrards and the Lampards. They've got to win. The pressure is immediately on them. OK, they're both at clubs where they've been given, uh, you know, good budgets to work with and then get some good players in. So that helps. But if you're trying to forge a career at the lower levels, it's it's very, very tough. And I'm, I'm pleased with the role I've got. You know, it's more development and trying to produce the players are already out there. We try and enhance what they've already got and feed them into the national setup. But to be a club manager now, it's is it is, is nigh on impossible. Mm. You know, it's very very tough. Pressure is on. You know, from day one, and you have to produce results. Um, and does it take away the the enjoyment to a degree? I mean, I listen to lots of managers and I, and I talk to lots of managers, and 
it's tough, mm. you know, from the pressures that they're under. It was incredible. And uh, I don't know if I'd ever really, unless the opportunity, you never know because you never know if you're going to get an opportunity again. But, but what I do, I really enjoy. And, and I'm thankful for the opportunity I've got. Pick somebody out. Far post for Shearer. Goal! Yes! Wonderful goal all the way from the moment that Hazard picked him out. What on earth happened the following season of the Premier League? What went wrong? Well, I think it was a culmination. You get into that negative mindset. Results perhaps still not quite as good as they should be. Um, you're expected to bounce back or certainly put on a good show. Players move on. I think we... we I don't know if we sold Jan that year mm-hmm. or was it the year after? Uh, yeah, the tail end of the year. Yeah, I'm mean, a prominent player. So, yeah... It's very difficult, you know, and I've seen it, you see it at lots of clubs, you know, where they get relegated and it happens again and again and again. And, you know, teams like Derby, teams like Leicester, Wolves, you know, they have to reach reach Sunderland at the moment. You know, they, they, they just can't stop. You know, whoever goes in, they can't stop the momentum of negativity. And, and even good coaches like Chris Colmer went to Sunderland last year and, and Kit Simons, who, who was with him, and I, I fully expected them that they could stop it because they're good people. Uh, they have an understanding of what it means to the supporters and affinity. But it, once once it's it's on a roll, the snowball effect, mm-hmm. and and it can work the ad- adversely. You know, you win one promotion, then you go and win another one. But relegations, it's tough. Mm-hmm. It's tough, and uh, and of course, with that comes the financial side. And then, you know, once that pinches in as well and you, you lose your better players, your, your budget drops and you can't recruit quality players, um, it's very difficult. And it's frustrating as a player. You know, no no players ever go out to try and lose games. Mm. Everyone tries to give their best. But unfortunately, things conspire and transpire against what you're trying to do. And um, and then managers move on, don't they? You, you, um, they certainly do. Um, you miss a lot of that season. Um, you miss a lot of the cup run. Was the cup run detrimental? Do you think to the to the campaign? Uh, not particularly, because you're winning games. Mm. You know, we won some some good fixtures at home. Um, I, I, yeah, I was watching from the sidelines. I, I had my back problem. Uh, I did it in mid, in the Middlesbrough game at home. Uh, I think it was, it was a bit of wear and tear, but something went that day in the game. Um, and I ended up having a back operation, a piece of disc removed because it had, it had popped out and it was touching the sciatic nerve. So I, I missed, I think, three or four months of that season. So And the boys had a fantastic cup run and really, you know, talk about fine lines. I mean, they were they were within touching distance of getting to the final at Wembley. And um, I think it was Miksu Patalainen. I mean, he turned and smashed one in. I remember listening to it on the radio. And then the game changed. So uh, very, very close to another cup final, which would have been incredible. But yeah, it was difficult to stop. I don't, I, you know, I'm a great believer in winning football matches and, and all these rotations and you know, bringing different players in. I know the squads are much, much bigger and the demands are more, but as a player, you just want to play every game. Hmm. Um, and, and if you're chopping and changing regularly, then I think you lose the continuity. But um, it's a different game now in some respects, but also it is the same game. You know, it's 11 v 11. A confident team will will generally play better than the opposition. And the continuity that everybody knows each other's roles and knows what's capable of each other, you know, that, that type of team spirit can take you a long way. 
and you, and you certainly need a team spirit to, to win and be promoted in any at any level and that of football and that Jan Aga Fjortoft he's done all right for himself Jan was a, a, he was a, he was a nice man he was a great man he was obviously from a, a, a different nation different nationality different habits but yeah I mean you know you talk about players going through tough spells um, Jan certainly had six months where he couldn't he couldn't score he couldn't hit a barn door um, and he was going back he was going back to Norway I remember it we were playing Ipswich away I think it might have been an FA Cup game He's, his number was up he was coming off and he was going back to play part time football and he turns on the edge of the box and he puts one in the top corner um, and then he scores again on the Saturday because John Gorman thought no you know hang on that could be the turning point and that proved to be the case I mean I think he scored maybe 20 goals between January and the end of the season which was phenomenal but no, Jan and Jan, Jan didn't change. He was what he was. He 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 was quite a quietish character. Although he had he had some funny tendencies. Jan back in them days, you know, we'd have a game of cards on the bus and, and we'd socialise, um, and we felt for him to a degree. But once he started scoring, I mean, he went to another level. I mean, his uh, his his aeroplane celebration. I mean, he became a real icon at Swindon Town, and he, and he went on and produced goals uh, wherever he went, really. Here's Foley. Far side is Bowden. Bowden's cross. Up in the air. Belgate. Punches away. Comes to McLaren who hits it through a crowd of players and he's found the net. That could well be the winning goal with just three and a half minutes remaining of extra time. Ross McLaren, his third goal of the season, second in the Littlewoods Cup, through a crowd of Bolton players and into the back of the net. Your final season with Swindon is the 95-96 season and it's a good one to go out on. It's it's a great squad. I had enjoyed that season thoroughly, obviously, and it was a, a league-winning season, which is something that you don't see at Swindon every day. Was it a good experience? Because, I mean, I've got to mention it, that the legacy of Steve McMahon is an odd one because I look at 95-96 and it's a trophy. Um, but there's a lot of negativity that comes out of Swindon at that stage and it leaks into the fans and we lose a lot of fans during that era or certainly in the seasons that follow. As a player, was working with Steve McMahon fine? Was it, is, was it complicated? Was it different to your previous experiences? It was, it was a little bit different for all managers. You know, they got their strengths, weaknesses. They got their ideas and ideologies about how football should be played. Um, they have their certain types of players that they prefer, and that's just a manager's prerogative, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's got opinion. Managers got their opinions, and and their opinion is what counts because they're picking the football team, they're coaching you on a daily basis. Steve was, I think, he actually said himself, he was like a bull in a china shop. Um, he was new to management. It was his first um, job, mm-hmm. as it was Glens and and um, Aussies. And, and, and going back even further to, to, to Lou. Mm. So he was a little bit different. He was quite aggressive in his, in his approach. Um, but he, he, was, he was okay. Um, what he did do, obviously, I was coming back from my back operation and he signed Jason Drysdale. So Jason was coming back from Newcastle, uh, ex-Watford player, had a really successful spell at Watford, mm-hmm. Bristol boy. Um, so he was sort of coming home um, to the southwest. Um, so I had a sort of barrier in my way, really, and, and, and having had a, a, a good career at Swindon, I was challenged with 
somebody who the club had paid about 350000 for, I think. Yeah. So when he was fit, Jason played ahead of me. But unfortunately for him, he, he suffered quite a few injuries. And I think that season I played 35, 36 league games. So it was quite a good season for me, really, in that respect. Having thought at the, at the start when we played Hull away, I was sat on the bench, came on with a few minutes to go, and I set Steve Finney up for, for I don't know if it was an equaliser or a winning goal. And I thought, I'm not going to play a lot of games this year um, with Jason in, in, in position. So much to his detriment, I, you know, with his injuries, I was pleased that uh, I ended up playing so many games. Although, although we went up and we won as champions, it was great. It was the end of my playing career at Swindon. And was that by your own choice or were you not forced out, but was, was it the time was right to leave? No, it was um, Steve. Uh, he didn't promise me that would be the wrong word to use, but Steve intimated that around Christmas time that, you know, as long as the club done well and I, I, you know, I was around the first team squad, if not playing, then I would get offered a new contract. My contract was up at the end of that season. Um, and I remember getting a phone call from Michelle McDonald at the end of the season. We'd celebrated. Um, you know, everything was great. Everything looked good around the club. Although, as you mentioned, there was still a little bit of perhaps unrest with the supporters. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a phone call to say, could you come into the ground? Steve McMahon wants to talk to you. And I, I honestly thought going in, for that conversation that I would be offered a contract and uh, unfortunately Steve just told me pretty straight that there was no contract for me um, and I'd be free to leave so it was a bit of a bombshell at that time really um, I actually hadn't had or hadn't received my championship medal hmm. because there wasn't enough at the presentation night I think there was limited numbers and of course with Jason back fit for the for the the last few games, he received his. I think they received it on the pitch actually, the last game of the season. Yeah. And so I, I ended up sort of going into the club and getting my P forty five and and my championship medal, um, which was a strange combination at that time. But um, thankfully, I continued my career, albeit down the road <laughs> to a, a local rival. But I was a professional footballer. You know, I had a family. Mm. And I needed to find my next destination, and and it was down the road, and it was commutable, so it was, <laughs> it was perfect. And was that the main reason that you say that you don't like to move unless absolutely necessary? So when Reading say is a contract, you're like, thank you very much. Well, it was it was an ex teammate, Jimmy Quinn. Yeah. So I, obviously, Jimmy was just moving into the managerial role. Him and Jim, uh, Mick Quinn were joint managers, which was a, another unusual thing. Mm. Both young, both still fit and able to play. John Majewski was in at the club and there was lots of positive talk, um, training grounds, new stadiums, was on the verge of, of, of commencing uh, building. So it was an exciting time actually going to Reading. Yeah. They just missed out on the top, top level. They got to the playoffs and, and, and lost, I think, maybe the year or two before that. So there was expectations at the club and um, it was actually... A good move for me, really. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was 32, maybe, 33, maybe, around that sort of age, 98, no, 96 to 98, I went there. So, um, no, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed my first year, I really enjoyed. Second year, I was limited in, in, in game time. But coming back was strange. When I, I came back for Reading and played at the county ground, 
that was that was quite a strange thing, you know, having spent so many good years at the club um, and leaving on a on a disappointing note, really. Yeah. Um, but to come back and play against Swindon, it was it was very very strange, to be honest. Yeah, I, I dare say it would. But the crucial thing is, Reading lost, so it doesn't matter. Well. No, from your perspective, <laughs> mine, I, was, I was tinged with disappointment, of course. Uh, <laughs> you always want your ex-clubs to do well, especially if you had a good affinity with them. And, you know, Swindon will always be close to my heart. And, uh, you know, you, you do always wish them well. And after you you leave Reading, you uh, return to Bath City, where you become the player manager. Um, you have a good few years there. And then you return to Swindon. You spend something like 12 years nurturing our youth players. Um, lots of good players came through at that stage and they may not have made it necessary to the Football League but a lot of them still play at a reasonable standard so you must be tremendously proud of that achievement Yeah, absolutely I mean, to work with young players um, and try and help them develop and pass on your experiences um, again, in, in the youth department we had some fantastic people hard-working people you know, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights in, in the bitter cold but you you your main priority is to work with these young players and give them the best opportunity. And, and over many, many years, that's exactly what happened. You know, we certainly didn't do it for the money back in them days. It, and even now, I'm sure the lads who work in the academies, you know, that it's not high paid jobs unless you're in the category one, category two environments. And even there, it, you do it for the love. All you do it for is to try and help these young players progress to whatever level they, they can find. And some players move into football league. Some players, you know, we've had some fantastic players, as you said, you know, the Thompson brothers, Bill, my lad, you know, um, Callum Kennedy's, Sean Morrison's, Ben Tozer's, Lucas Djukovic's, you know, they've gone on to have, have tremendous careers. Um, but the players who've gone and played locally, non-league, you know, I'm sure they had fantastic experience. Going to the Milk Cup and winning the Milk Cup in 2005, mm-hmm. I mean, what an achievement for a club like Swindon Town. Their memories alone, you know, and we've got the trophy at the club. I mean, it's still at the club with all the signatures, all the names of the players who actually played. And there were some fantastic players still playing local football now. Um, But their memories that I'm sure they would never forget as well. So there's a lot of enjoyment, as I said, from coaching. You can't beat playing, but when you have days like we did or weeks like we did in in the Milk Cup and beating, you know, crumbling in the final at... um, in the cup final. I mean, what an occasion for all the young players and uh, they would have thoroughly enjoyed that for sure. And let's talk about Bill for a moment because Bill's had not a similar sort of um, introduction to football and career as you, but he's had the same sort of obstacles. So when he left Swindon, he did do what you didn't do and that was go down to Torquay. He got injured. (laughs) He had to start again with a little spell at Northampton and then he went and really made his name at Bristol Rovers. And now he's at Preston, sadly injured, but he's, he's... in the championship level, he got capped by Wales by somebody that you played alongside. Must be absolutely proud as anything. Absolutely, absolutely, without a shadow. The whole family are really proud of Bill. Um, he's probably had a lot more pressure on him uh, with a with a dad as an ex player coach. Mm. So people sometimes, you know, think that I was in a position to do something to help him, but that's never been the case. It's always whenever we make judgments on players. It's a number of people, number of staff that make that decision. His first pro contract, um, I never even had a hand in that. Danny Wilson saw Bill play, saw the youth team play. He would often come up on a Saturday morning if we were home and the first team were home. 
you know, Danny had his own ideas. Danny was was instrumental in giving Bill and Will Evans their first pro contracts. So yeah, you can guide, you can support, but ultimately when they're at, whether it be at Swindon Town or whether they be at Bristol Rovers or Preston, you know, they work for their present club. You know, players work for the current manager and they have to do what they do and uh, or what they say rather. So yeah, we're really pleased. I mean, he went went with Martin Leng. That was a nice um, a helping hand, if you like. Martin got the best out of Bill. Bill scored five goals in 15 games, I think, mm-hmm. for Torquay. And that helped secure his permanent move um, in, in, the, in the 2000s. Um, Martin was really keen that he could help develop and progress. And he really thought Bill could play at a high, high level. And, and although Torquay were at the lower levels there, there were some good players there. And, you know, uh, Union O'Kane, mm-hmm. he was playing in the same team. Um, and a number of other players who went on to play at a much higher level, and Martin was instrumental in that. So, uh, you know, I thank Martin for that, uh, although it's a two-way thing. You, you sign good players to help you your team become better, and, and Bill did do that at that particular time. The exit of both yourself and Bill from Swindon is a tremendously regrettable time from an observer. Um, it must be great that both of you have managed to forge further careers outside of Swindon, and you're now at Wales... Yeah, I mean, listen, things happen, don't they, yeah. uh, in, in various workplaces, not just the football environment. You know, I did have a, a wonderful time and I still have an affinity with the club. Obviously, it's on my doorstep. I actually watched the game on the weekend uh, in, in, a, in a, uh, a working role. So it's great to go back. There are some still some familiar faces who were there when I was there many, many years ago. And, you know, it's part of your life, isn't it? I mean, I had a huge part of my not only my football career, but my, my actual life. You know, my children sort of grew up at the club. Mm. Every other Saturday, they'd be there, you know, uh, watching the games. So you can't get away from that. That's that's a huge part of my life. And um, it was a fantastic part, you know. And all good things come to an end at some stage for one reason or another, whether you make the choice or the club makes the choice. Yeah. And, and there's nothing you can do about it sometimes. So, listen, I, I still have the club in great fondness. And, you know, I genuinely wish them all the best. I think the club generally is too big to be in the second division. But you are where you are. And you have to earn the right and get the results to get out of this division. Paul Bowden, thank you very much. Thank you. No problem. Below Strangers is an independent Swindon Town fan podcast. The music was expertly created by Matthew Kilford and the podcast artwork is by the super talented John Daglish. Thanks for listening. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward. Or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18+. plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.